0: I found it, uh, you know, somewhat pretentious. Don't make me hurt you.
1: So, today's movie was Dead Poets Society. Um, what was your initial thoughts on this film? I know you mentioned a little bit uh offline that it was a very sad film, which is very true, but
0: well, my first concern when watching it was it was uh full of awkward teenagers.
1: Aristocratic rich kid teenagers no less. <laughs>
0: Let um, me tell my, you about a. See, my my general impression was that I I did like it, even though it was a sad movie. I probably I won't want to watch it again, but I did. I'm glad that I watched it, but I wouldn't want to watch it again.
1: There's a lot of movies that are like I would say. Um, I'm glad that you did enjoy it, though. That's that's at least a good sign. Um, I was a little bit nervous on whether you'll enjoy the film or not, so that's good to hear. What uh what are what are the things that stood out to you the most with the film? What kinds of things did you enjoy the most out of it?
0: Uh well just like Goodwill Hunting, I enjoyed all the scenes where, where Robin Williams was present the most.
1: No, he he uh I don't think Robin Williams got nearly enough credit, even though he did get an Oscar Nod for this film, but I don't think he ever got credit as he really deserved for the talent that he had. It's kinda of weird to say that just because he did get so many acts, but you know, uh, I remember hearing a story about him where when he auditioned for Juilliard, he was one of only two students. He and Chris Reeve who were uh, led into the, the prestigious acting program that he was brought into. And he was considered one of the greatest actors that had ever been through the doors of that, which is saying something for that particular college.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But yeah, I would have I would have I would watch a two hour
0: movie that was just 100 percent Robin Williams teaching uh, literature class. <laughs>
1: Hopefully, I will say, hopefully it would be a slight uh, accurate class than this one was. <laughs> as much as I like this film, it exactly get into any cool thinking with poetry. Yeah. I didn't know
0: enough about anything that they did talk about to notice anything um, off about it.
1: You have to be a pretty big literature nerd to catch any of it. And honestly, that's you know that's not the point of the film either. The point of the film isn't to be a critical analysis or a d de- or an introduction into poetry or anything like that. The point of the film is to be all about the boys and about their school and the action to society and it's it's a coming of age story more than anything
0: As mm-hmm.
1: much as Robin Williams is the most interesting character in the <laughs> story. he's not the protagonist, yeah, but I was amused, though, as as serious as most of it is. It feels like Robin Williams just can't help but get some celebrity impersonations in there. <laughs> <laughs> just had to do some John Wayne and some Marlon Brando in there. Yeah. Apparently the Marlon Brando and John Wayne impersonations were actually improvised, and that was actually what I meant into character originally. He was very stiff, apparently, in the role before that. <laughs> I found some articles from the director in talking about that. Yeah. um, yeah, I think that his um the class that he seemed to be teaching
0: was more of a um a public speaking or, you know, an engagement class like
1: that and not, like the poetry seemed to be secondary. Yeah, it was really just all about helping those boys get to come out of the shadows a little bit and come into the light. So, one thing uh things that I always like movie is just the way the film is put together, you know, the I love it. Um one of the things, I, you know, what was your reaction to the way the film was camera work, editing, things like that? Did you notice anything that was give note? I, I didn't notice the editing, which I guess means it was good enough editing. Yeah, the uh, way of putting it is that if you notice it something's wrong, people will say. But uh, one thing I always draw to is the uh, camera work is very, you know, very standard, very traditional Right up until the point at which the Dead Poet Society is first mentioned, um and that was that's something that I've always noticed with this film is there's certain points at which all of a sudden this the camera work just becomes a lot more creative, things become a lot more dynamic, it's cutting around quicker, um, and the pace just picks up a lot, and I always kind of tie it might just be me, but I always kind of tie it to when the boys' imaginations start to flare a little bit, you know, yeah. So There's some really interesting moments like that in this film where we start to kind of think a little bit more and start to plot a little bit more and start to imaginations really pick up steam and that seems to trigger the camera work and the edit a cut pace along with it, which is says a lot about the talent of the people involved in the crew with them
0: yeah i mean i like I said, I didn't really notice anything but um. <laughs> I guess that just means it went along well enough with the movie that I didn't it didn't stand out.
1: What did you think about the setting for the film? The fact, yeah, you know, it was nineteen fifty
0: nine, and yeah, one of the first things I was thinking about that was that I I would have hated to go to school there. I just <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it was it was you know a couple generations before my time, so yeah, having but... lived in the
1: Northeast a little bit, um, I'm very glad that I have never ever stepped foot in any kind of an old money school like that I mean the setting looked nice
0: but I, I know <laughs> you know the whole situation they were in just was not except for apparently um, whoever Reverend Williams character's names was class the entire thing was just so much um, weight on them
1: you know yeah it's, it's not the best way to raise a child in any way shape or form there's a reason why I think you don't see anywhere near as many of those schools around these days, though there mm-hmm. are still a few. One of the other, one of the things I have always enjoyed being, um, is the the interplay between the boys in the in the in the. Uh, there's a lot of sort of hilarious fun between them that they do, and just sort of random little sidetracks to make. Um, you know, just for an example, there's the scene where uh, Neil and two roommates just start chasing each other around the room and the camera's spinning in place, following them around the room over and over again. And the, uh, Cameron, the, the, the more, uh, snitch boy comes in to chastise them. And all of a sudden they just steal his nope, chasing him around instead of just, you know, (laughs) running back and forth on the floor. He decides, no, I have to run around on the beds too, to chase them. That's obviously the way this has to.
0: I did like that. The way that, um,
1: like the, the first one was
0: like when he first took the other kids, uh, things, it was, they seemed kind of mean, but then as soon as this other kid got drawn into it, it um, kind of diffused that and turned it into something that was a lot
1: funnier to me. Yeah. And then all of a sudden there's bongo drums and like three other big around for no good (laughs) reason. And,
0: oh, we're running in circles. Let's do it. Yeah.
1: Nothing else to do here. I mean, come on. So just those little moments like that just really, uh, really get to me. And then after that chase, you know, another example of the editing in this film, the camera immediately switches as it's spinning in a circle there to knocks on his bike, knocking on his bike, spinning around in a very similar motion. So it's just this kind of continuity of motion that bleeds right into the next scene.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But they do a lot of uh, nice little, little interplay between the boys at various times that, that really helps to build the relationship you need to actually care about these kids in this setting. Yeah. Did you feel like the uh boys had enough character on their own? Did you feel like each of them felt real in some way?
0: Yeah, I think that they did
1: um and there yeah, i i did like think like that you're talking about their interactions um
0: especially the way that they there wasn't really like a bully, but people were sometimes uh mean to each other, but not it never seemed to turn into that kind of permanent permanent bully relationship um I kind of liked that interaction that they
1: had. Yeah, it was kind of interesting that they stayed away from the stereotype of high school movies where there always has to be the jock kid who's got to be mean to everybody else, and there's got to <laughs> be the criminal kid, and they they're all just buddies.
0: Yeah, that, that that seemed a lot more realistic, or at least um, individually they did, but nobody was a stereotype. Then again, it's apparently a, a nerd, wealthy kid's school, so...
1: Yeah, but if you don't think that there are bullies at those kinds of schools, yeah. I mean, come on. I would say that that's where you get like bullies in in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. If only because they're bullies who have the ability to make the rest of your life a living hell because they've got to do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I did notice, just like in Casablanca,
0: a couple of things that seem to really date the movie um, (laughs) was the smoking and smoking indoors by children. (laughs) Inside of a
1: cave, too, at one point. I mean, come on, guys. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. They they do not understand about proper ventilation.
0: <laughs> They're also carrying these that old book and like laying it open, and there were so many like obvious water drips. I was just in you know my OCD mind was like, that's gonna drip all over the the page of the book, and you're just gonna ruin it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously, man, way to teach them about a love of literature, guys.
0: <laughs> uh, one of the other little I guess things like that. Um that kind of you know, puts the, the movie in its time is the the way like some like some kid has like a magazine cut out of a girl and you know, nowadays that that's just so outdated everybody has the internet.
1: Well the movie is set in nine in ninety nine. Yeah. It's it's nineteen fifty nine by way of synthesizers in the eighties. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 appropriate, but it just it kinda stands out now. Oh yeah. I can definitely understand that. With it being, um, with it being set in 1959, it is. There's no mention of the Beat Generation at all. That's something that Roger Rebert actually pointed out about this film when he did his review. Um, yeah, you know, there's all this talk of poetry, and uh, they don't mention any of the Beat poets in any way, shape, or you know, Alan Ginsberg like that. And the closest you hmm. get is is uh. Charlie Dalton, the trouble starter character, doing that poem with his saxophone, which is awesome, <laughs> it, you know, completely awesome, admittedly, but it just seems really weird that the film doesn't touch on any of the really interesting stuff that was going on in that era, you know? I also, I didn't really catch what time the movie was supposed to be set until you told
0: me. Like, it was, it, as far as it being 1989, it might as, you know, it could have, as being 1950, it might as well have been 1989. Okay. Like I didn't really, I didn't really catch onto it. I just thought that the, like you know, the parents were especially strict for the time, or that was maybe a product of the the class that the boys were in. Um, but there wasn't, like, there was never a date that showed up that made me think that oh, this is nineteen eighty. this is nineteen fifty nine and not nineteen
1: eighty nine. I can kind of see that there's a lot of cars or anything, which is usually a dead giveaway for that.
0: Yeah, I guess like the those high class boys riding bicycles around kind of should have given it away too. I guess.
1: No, but still, it's it is. Yeah, you know, the fact that the school is so conservative, that school probably <laughs> was the exact same way in 1989 as it was in 1950, or at least the administration <laughs> probably tried damn hard to keep it that way. Yeah.
0: But yeah, one of the other little things that I noticed was that the soundtrack had a
1: soundtrack had a lot of
0: bagpipes in it.
1: I think, especially early yeah, on in the, the movie. that actually reminded me of the northeast quite a bit when i was there because i lived there and for the first few years of my life up in new hampshire and uh for whatever reason there were a lot of bags i don't know if that's just some random experience that i had up there or if that's a thing but (laughs) it actually made it feel a little bit more genuinely northeast to me somehow (laughs) you know i was making a a joke about that synth soundtrack, but uh, another one of the things that I like to see from this film, technically speaking, is that first meeting of the Dead Poets Society. You know, right after they they get the book and they they have to go out to this cave and and plot this whole meeting. It is another scene where it's visually very different from the rest of the movie up to that. And there's this eerie music, and the boys are these you know become these mysterious hooded figures, hover in and out of the frame, and. It's like they were trying to turn the dead society into a legit society. It it felt like the skulls and bones, you know, (laughs) except with literature. Yeah, and there's you know all those shadows and the fog during into the night. I mean, it's it's just ridiculous. And eighties is all hell. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
0: but yeah, I mean, talking about the kind of the the boys school or the the school where you send your kids off to. It's interesting the way that that's changed from like, at least in, in media from the school that's depicted here to things like, uh, like Hogwarts or um, like that whole magical school genre has become a thing that instead of the, the conservative uptight, you know, finishing school or uh, this sort of thing.
1: Yeah. It is a little weird to think about how many movies there are about aristocratic. I don't, why that's a thing. <laughs> But uh, there are a couple of issues that I have with the setting, though, and I, I think it's only natural, but it is still kind of disappointing. One of those is just, you know, how in white and male the kid is. Yeah, which is probably
0: accurate to and 1959,
1: but... Very much so. It's area and that kind of school, but it's still just, just... I guess, you know, yeah, you can justify it with the time, but it just feels like kind of part of the problem you know yeah oh like just the fact that we can justify it but i mean
0: yeah it's actually historically accurate but it's kind of yeah. um yeah, not necessarily the sort of thing that you want
1: to propagate no well then there are some other issues too like the fact that recite lines from the which is a pretty problematic poem yeah, you know, they're sitting in this place called the Old Indian getting lines from the Congo. <laughs> it's just uh too well.
0: I mean, was that supposed to be um something else? like it's it's sometimes maybe hard to distinguish what was what was okay in 1989 compared to what they wanted to show in the movie that was okay in 1959. Yeah. Would
1: be, yeah. Well, I mean and it is weird, I mean, the called out in in the nineteen twenties when it was back when it was written, but yeah, the nineteen eighties were a special time in history. <laughs> as for the nineteen fifties, but it's just kind of sad, you know the only blocking in the whole movie is seen from about for about two seconds from behind in these work area. It's just it just kind of reminds you that we have a really shitty history in this movie. Yeah. So, that said, I do still like the the film. It is you know it's a well well put together film. You have wonderful scenes like the sequence with Ethan Hawke's character Todd uh, getting dragged up to the front of the class and having to do that sweaty madman scene, <laughs> which is once isn't you know another use of the spinning camera work that they use to kind of imagination firing up. But, you know, talking about play with the boys. Uh, one thing i read about uh the articles i was looking at online apparently uh ethan hawk and robert sean leonard the two lead boys uh neil apparently the two of them have a an actual pretty decent friendship to this day apparently that's probably some of their on-screen chemistry <laughs> was due to that
0: one of the other things that
1: did you recognize the
0: sorry go ahead go ahead oh, One of the things that it also reminded me of was um uh, book by Herman Hesse that he wrote in like 1906 Beneath the Wheel, which is a similar thing where it's a, you know, a boy going to a, a seminary school um, where just the the environment, you know, presses down on him and his, his Robin Williams is his friend that's going to school at the same time, but that kid gets expelled and he starts, you know, experiencing mental illness and is, you know, sent home for that reason. And at the end of the book, also dies. You know, <laughs> um, it just reminded me of some of this. You know, I guess it's another, <laughs> it's another, you know, coming of age story that ends up in tragedy, just like the movie.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. How did anybody survive one of these schools? I mean, really. Seems like every work of fiction we have ends with boys dying. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what were you about to ask me before?
1: So, did you recognize the father, Gail's father? He looked familiar,
0: but I don't—I don't, I don't like—I didn't specifically remember, like, recognize him as somebody.
1: I just always love pointing out any Star Trek actors that I can, because <laughs> I know if there's one surefire way to get you interested in a film. But uh, he was actually the president in Star Trek VI. Kurtwood Smith is his oh. name. He's one of my favorite that guy actors. <laughs> You'll just see every once in a while uh he was also in deep space nine he was uh the episode with the flashbacks where they keep seeing this Cardassian and acting as odo and then they find out that it was really odo all mm-hmm. along well but he's one of my favorite character actors.
0: yeah I just pulled him up on IMDb, and there's uh, so many so many things where I've seen but I don't remember like i, I recognize him now that i've seen see that he's on the um on the cast here.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, he was
0: Reginald. He was Red Foreman on the seventies show that seventies show too.
1: But is uh, he's one of my favorite things about this film, his part isn't huge. Everything he does just feels so genuine. Yeah. Especially, you know, leading a right up reaction of him finding his son. Yeah, and he's like he's
0: also maybe not the but an antagonist in the movie.
1: Oh yeah. I would say that basically every adult who's not Robin Williams is an antagonist, so... (laughs) I think time is the antagonist in this movie, apparently.
0: Yeah. I was going to say maybe not the what's-his-name's mom, but I guess she didn't really do anything except get upset about things that were happening.
1: Yeah, she tries so hard to comfort him, but doesn't really do anything productive. So we've been skirting around it a little bit. We should play that actual that scene mm. so what was your what was your perspective on that sequence after the midsummer Night's Dream scene was finished? The sequence between uh, Kurtwood smith and and Neil between the father and son
0: I like not knowing what was going to happen like going into it when his father showed up at the you know at the back of the audience. I had really hoped that something like um like the John Keating character had called his father and like convinced him to give this a shot or something like that. (laughs) But you know, the whole scene of him going and getting his son and just dragging him out and pushing everyone else aside was so, um, it was very upsetting. Yeah.
1: And they give you so many false bits of false hope to, you know, him emphasizing that whole last speech about, you know, if, if we, of please give us a hand you know and you just sit there hoping oh he's going to give a hand now everybody else is going it, to. it'll be okay it'll be the 80s movie with the slow clap and he'll be the first one to start <laughs> it just has <laughs> not happened. happened but there's just there's so much tension in that scene and it just almost feels pebble, you know Hmm. but I was kind of curious whether you would be able to you know when you would figure out perhaps I've seen the movie so many times that I I don't remember what my reaction was the first time, you know.
0: Yeah, I don't think I realized what he was going to do until, you know, literally the smoking gun. Yeah, I mean, like I—I hoped he was going to open the window and jump out and run away, or yeah, I know. You know anything.
1: Although he was wearing no shirt in the middle of winter in the Northeast, I don't think that he would have survived that way either. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just that—that that whole sequence is just. It almost feels manipulative in the sense that they glorify what he's doing as this you know act of rebellion, yeah, which is almost a little dangerous to me, yeah, but still the sequence is handled very well cinematically, and it, you know it's it's almost sad just how creative the camera work can get in this film occasionally, I of it is so you know sort of stodgy and traditional, but then again, you know, if the, if the whole film was like that, it never would have been believable as this aristocrat school, you know. hmm So, they, yeah, but they do get some street cred still for being able to just being able to bring it when it counts, you know, to, to really turn it up. Yeah. But the reaction I had to that last thing this time was: I have not seen this movie since I had children, and uh, oh my mm. god i don't I don't yeah. know if I can blame hormones or what complete blubbering mess at the end of that movie <laughs> yeah, I mean, even knowing it was happening, that was you like, know, it was just right like the like with the
0: father, the father, I mean he's also a tragic figure, and that he never through the whole movie didn't you know have any emotion except for you know stern fatherly approval and
1: anger until his son died. Yeah, I mean, he he all of a sudden becomes a person in that scene, and it's just. But I I think they needed that reaction scene from him though, because you can't feel like he's just this existential evil, you know. Cast a person yeah. who handled things horribly, but a person. The school administration, hey. on the other hand, is is completely. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, those guys are caricatures. It's... Yeah. I just always think of that scene with them marching into action after the the article that that uh, Nuwanda posts up, signed by the Dead Poet Society. And it just switches immediately to this march of administration stairs, you know, <laughs> like people and more of just one single organism. Yeah. One of the things I found, though, apparently there were some deleted scenes from this film. Um. You know the the bow tie wearing Latin professor that they show a few times talking to Keating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Apparently, there was a lot more to their relationship. that was cut out of the film, um, where they were going to be discussing uh, how best to raise a child and and kind of some of the things that they said to each other in the film.
0: Uh,
1: which kind of would have given a little. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. Would have affected the film on the one hand it would have given a more dimension to the administration and the rest of the school yeah. Yeah. but i'm not sure that that would have been better yeah but you know apparently the two of them have sort of had um you know the way it reads the way the scene descriptions read it almost feels like a tolkien and c.s lewis type of relationship with them constantly mm-hmm. having this very friendly debate which makes that little wave that they give at the end of the movie where the Latin professor looks up and gives him a little salute at the end. Makes a little bit more mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But apparently one of the lines that stuck out to was uh, the bow-tie-wearing professor basically stating that the best way to raise an atheist is through a stop-ringing. You know, something akin to that. What was, what was the line again? Something along the lines of, ah, the best way to raise an atheist is through a strict religious upbringing. Mm. Basically saying that they both wanted the same end goal of these kids thinking for themselves and being more enlightened, well-rounded people, but one of them is yeah. very traditional and very cynical, and the other one is a lot more progressive and daring and maybe even naive. hmm that might have been an interesting, different movie where it was all um,
0: Keating and the the Latin professor.
1: Yeah, it almost feels like like there could have been a whole other story there, almost like a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead type of thing. Hmm. But yeah, any last thoughts on the film? Or
0: I mean, yeah, it was a difficult piece of art, I guess. <laughs> Like I said, I don't, I don't know that I would watch it again. You know, Wendy wouldn't. Wendy wouldn't watch it with me because she had seen it before.
1: Oh yeah. It is one that I've seen innumerable times, but it is not an easy film to watch. I will say. Yeah. There's so much of it that's delightful, but that the end is just—it's affecting. The
0: whole. Uh, denouement was very much. Like it was an op like it was so much of a an opposition of the the scouring of the Shire and Lord of the Rings. Instead of like cleaning up this other small problem that was just like more um piling on where they send all the kids to the administrators and they're all forced to sign that um you know, blaming everything on Keating. Yeah. But that again, with the the
1: administration the way it was, it felt it felt very real, like that's what they would have done. Yeah, it felt genuine. And you know, one of the things that struck me this time watching it that I, for some reason, I never thought about before, uh, but I guess I was just looking at a little a little bit more analytically this time was that Todd, the the character played by Ethan Hawke, is uh, he, I always feel like he's in so little of the film, but this time it really struck me just how much he is there even though he's very quiet and off to the side and he doesn't talk a lot as many lines. And yet he really, mm. it, I feel like it really is his story more than anything. Even though Neil is so, so much the focus of so much of the story, because yeah. you have to, you have to like scene to hit, you know, mm-hmm. but more than anything, I really feel like it was Todd's overall at this point. And you know, the scene, the, the whole, the film ends with the shot of him up on the table, standing up or what he believes in when, you know, at the beginning of the film, that would have fight him and caused him to go catatonic.
0: Yeah. Yep.
1: So that's Dead poet Society. That is Dead poet
0: Society. What's the next uh, sadness you're going to inflict upon me?
1: Well, I have some good news for you. The Random Number Generator gave us a very lovely film called Schindler's List. God damn it. I'm just kidding. It um, <laughs> actually gave us a comedy for the first time, so you have that to look forward to. Curiously enough, it is another film about Craddock, Blue Bud, sort of rich kid school. So I hope you liked that aspect of this film because you're going to get a whole lot more of it. But the film is Wes Anderson's Rushmore. Not sure if you've ever heard of that one, but I actually heard of, and I think I've seen other movies by Wes Anderson. Okay, well, I think you're actually going to like this one a lot. It's Marie in it. Um, it's got Jason Schwartz in it. It's a really good film. So we will see what you think of it on the next ode.